Welcome to Phone Messages, Episode 8, Librarian. My name is Paul Mason Foch. This week, I have a message from my librarian. Well, that is what the message says, but I believe it is actually from my high school friend, Kevin Nichols. I'm a proud alumni of St. Paul Public Schools, and I actually met Kevin in fourth grade at Longfellow Elementary. 1974 was a very interesting year in Minnesota public school history. The previous year, in response to a U.S. District Court ruling that found Minneapolis school segregation illegal, the Minnesota State Board of Education adopted a racial balance requirement. As a response, in 1974, St. Paul Schools began a program to integrate its elementary schools. Longfellow, which was a primarily white school, was paired with J.J. Hill, which was primarily black. Grades 1 through 3 went to J.J. Hill, and 4 through 6 to Longfellow. Before 1974, like most schools in the United States, St. Paul's were highly segregated. This segregation, of course, was a legacy of blatant racism and housing discrimination. And it should be emphasized that this discrimination was financed and supported by the federal government. Dating back to the creation of the Federal Housing Administration in the 1930s, Enormous wealth flowed to white homeowners, while policies both legal and illegal excluded blacks from the benefits of home ownership. The tragedy is that with the introduction of efforts to integrate schools in the 1970s, whites simply fled to the suburbs and private schools. So today, public schools remain highly segregated throughout the United States. A 2014 report by the UCLA Civil Rights Project titled Brown at 60 shows schools throughout the country returning to the segregation levels of the 1960s. According to this study, compared to other states, Minnesota has the fourth most integrated school system in the country. Yet, this only indicates how overwhelmingly segregated most states are. In 2015, Minnesota administrators were sued for their failure to follow through on past promises to desegregate. The lawsuit points out that there are 114 schools in the Twin Cities area where more than 90% of students are minorities. This was up from only 11 schools in 1995. Looking back to the 1970s, I can think of many instances of everyday racism in my Merriam Park neighborhood. And I also remember several bomb threats to Longfellow, which required us to evacuate the building. However, it is debatable whether these bomb threats had anything to do with school desegregation, since bomb threats were widespread in the United States of the 1970s. Francis Ween, in his book Strange Days, claims there were over 50,000 bomb threats in 1970 alone. The other novel element of Longfellow when I began school there was the building's design. 
It was inspired by the open school movement and therefore had no classrooms. Instead, it was mostly a collection of large, carpeted spaces. According to education historian Larry Cuban, the open school movement in the United States was a response to Cold War fears of educational backwardness. Reformers believed that traditional classrooms were breeding conformity and constraining creativity. The open school design was intended to allow children to move freely between subjects of interest, independent of grade or specific teachers. The movement had a limited existence, in part because the open spaces were noisy. At Longfellow, I remember classrooms being formed through movable partitions, so you could always hear kids and teachers in adjacent classes. There was also a conservative backlash in the 1980s that called for more traditional standardized teaching methods. Longfellow remodeled to create formal classrooms in the 1990s, and it was closed in 2010 due to low enrollment. However, in 2011, the building welcomed Four Seasons Elementary, a school focused on the arts. I think this is a fitting legacy to the open school movement. Okay, let's return to this week's message. We are still in the summer of 1988, and the message is about 30 seconds long, so let's listen. Hello, Mr. Paul Boats. This is your librarian, and there's a book that you forgot to bring back, and it's overdue, and you need to return it right away, or we're going to break your face five different plays. We'll be seeing you. The thing I love about this message is the disconnect between the stereotypical image of a meek librarian and this threatening voice. On the other hand, there is also an image of the librarian as disciplinarian. And here it becomes exaggerated. The librarian's inner rage at your failure to be quiet and return your book on time. Here that rage comes to the surface. The librarian becomes a member of the mob, a loan shark threatening violence for overdue books. I am happy to report that St. Paul Public Libraries actually abolished fines in 2018. St. Paul's mayor rightly pointed out that fines primarily serve to limit library access to low-income readers. The mayor, Melvin Carter, is the first African-American to lead St. Paul. And, I am proud to say, a fellow graduate of St. Paul's Central High School. Okay, that's it for this week. If you would like to participate in this podcast or have comments, please contact me through my website, pfoch.com. That's P-F-O-T-S-C-H dot com. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next week.